Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 213, I'm very privileged to have, an honor to have, uh, Diane Shi on the podcast. She's a marketer, a content writer, podcaster, and yeah, um, how can I say upcoming entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, we talked about many things today. Uh, why she quit her PhD, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> which was like, yeah, quite bizarre. And yeah, what made her go into realms of becoming an entrepreneur? Uh, we also talked and touched on a cryptocurrency as well, uh, some of the investments she's had. And yeah, we talked about her podcast, amongst many other things. So please uh, sit back, enjoy the show. I think it's going to be rather informative for you. And yeah, please don't forget, subscribe to the show. It really does help and have a awesome day. Yes. Peace. Oh no. Peace. <laughs> oh. Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the day in, day out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 213. I am very privileged to have uh, Diane Shi on the like podcast today. Now now many things could be said about this young lady like yes she is a person who's decided to go into the world of entrepreneurship with her own startup kicking aside a like a a phd in psychology uh, for the honors of this i know i'm like the questions i'm going to ask today will most really help with her parents like yeah why did you do this why (laughs) and let's just say she has a little bit of a dancing video on YouTube with her French friend. My God. Ah, oh, you did your homework. <laughs> I do research too. Hey, Diane, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. I did not expect that introduction. Uh, like really the last part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, I'm really glad that you did your homework. That, that's you amazing. Go. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, the obvious question everyone's going to ask is, look, you're like you're down. You've you've studied long and hard. You've studied all over the place. Look, look I as I look at your LinkedIn profile, you've been in St. Mary's University, Twickenham, you've been in the University of Bonn, you've been in the University of Rotterdam, you've been all over the place. Yeah. Like, academia. It seemed like it was your life, your passion. Why yeah. did you quit? Why? Oh, that is a very, very long story. Um, it all started, it all started really uh, when I was studying psychology at St. Mary's. And I was really, uh, so at the beginning, I wanted to be a psychologist. Yes. And so I was t- taking my opportunities and I was a volunteer. And I want to be a forensic psychologist. So I was actually mentoring some post-prisoners. So it was part of a program to assist these prisoners, but only for female prisoners. It was really interesting. I went through like a two-day intensive training and I met a lot of other girls who were ambitious like me, who wanted to help these people. But really after that volunteer experience, I just thought, well, this is not for me. 
And at the same time, I was taking a course called biological psychology. It was really like the introduction for cognitive neuroscience, which mm -hmm. is basically brain sciences that intro uh, introduce people to what happened to them when they behave in certain ways and what happened to their brain. And I thought that was fascinating. So at the age of 21, I already decided that I want to be a scientist. So I actually undertook the student internship, you know, part of the module uh, to become a research assistant for one of the lecturers mm -hmm. and to kind of experience what that's like. So I just went on. After I finished my psychology, I was very determined. So I thought, no questions, no doubts, going straight to a master's degree and going to study brain sciences, related behavior, cognitive neuroscience, applied to university, uh, I mean, Rotterdam. And uh, that was really interesting. And while I was there, I was still feeling like this is still fascinating. But everything really changed and started to have a little bit of doubt after I finished my master's because I wasn't really sure whether academia was for me. Mm -hmm. uh, how am I going to find out if I don't try? So I decided to first become a research assistant because I needed some experience to kind of like confirm my belief whether I can be a scientist or not. And while I was doing that, I discovered that, okay, actually I can do research, but only on specific topics. I was interested only in neuroeconomics. Mm -hmm. So basically based on behavioral economics, the kind of brain sciences behind it. And so after half year, I mean, it was like four months in when I was a research assistant, I started applying for all the PhDs. At the beginning, I applied every position in Netherlands because I really desperately wanted to go back because I had such a good time there. But it was really last minute I saw this ad posted on this like European Union portal for like academics. And I, I saw that it's from University of Bonn. I never thought that I wanted to do a PhD in Germany. And on top of that, it was requiring me to speak German. Obviously, I don't speak German. So I just wrote an email to the PI. Uh, I said, okay, I don't speak German, but I think I'm a good candidate. I have the experience and everything. I have the skills. Can I still apply? And that was already like a week or four days or five days before the deadline. And then he said, sure, of course, just drop your resume. So I did. And after that, I got an interview and like, week or two later they announced hey uh you're going to be part of this uh, european program and you can come to germany and do a phd so it was like boom suddenly i was moving from taiwan to germany and so soon i was ready going back to europe right i didn't expect that everything just happened so quickly and it was under the topic of decision making neuroscience it was exactly the topic that I wanted so mm. i started at the beginning, I was really, really passionate about it. And I had all these ideas in my head about research I wanted to do. I was spending a lot of time reading a lot of research as well to build a foundation for myself. And I was learning a lot of stuff from the people in the lab, the senior people as well, getting to know the people, the environment. But I think that everything started hitting me when a pandemic started. Kind of like for everyone, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And everything, I started having doubts when pandemic started. And because of this program, specific program, I was in Spain. So I was doing a project in Spain. And first week I arrived, I was so excited. Didn't know how the pandemic lockdown was gonna happen. I actually um, 
reserved an apartment five minutes walk from the beach because I was so excited, never had lived next to a beach before. It's Spain, why not? And I did. So I remember it was just 15 minutes walk from the university I was co-working at and I could take walks at the beach and everything. Uh, it was literally like seven or eight days later, the government announced, okay, full on lockdown. It was really the harshest lockdown among other European countries yes. because you couldn't go anywhere. You could only go to the supermarket. And what else are you going to do if, I mean, I didn't know anyone and what else am I going to do? I have to spend a lot of time thinking, right? And I have, to, I have to spend a lot of time just by myself. And that was the time I started to feel a little bit unhappy about, I mean, really full on inspecting about my whole PhD thing situation. I started to feel very unhappy about the project. Mm -hmm. I mean, doing a PhD is not just, I'm doing research by myself. You have to collaborate with other people. You have to work with other people. You also have to work with the seniors and you have to kind of listen to advice and so on. But I really wasn't happy with my progress because, you know, I wasn't working alone on this. Of course, it would be great if I'm doing everything myself, but that's not possible. Sometimes you need advice and collaboration from with other people. And uh, that was the first time I remember at the time I I was a little bit desperate, but also kind of emotional because I was just spending too much time alone. So I called a colleague. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I called a colleague and I said, I quit my PhD, fuck this shit. I don't want to do this anymore. And um, he said, okay, Diana, you have to calm down. You're acting and thinking based on your own emotions right now. And it's not rational and it's just too impulsive. So I think he, I mean, it took about a day or two. And I calmed down a little bit. I was like, okay, he's right. This is a really rash decision. If I just put my PhD now in the midst of pandemic while I'm locked here alone without anyone with me. I mean, maybe the situation would have changed if there's people around me, if there's um, friends who can tell me, you know what, you're not really making the right decision and so on. So I didn't act then. It was only until a year and a half later, hmm. like a year and a half later, which was back in August, I finally quit my PhD. So that it took that long. I know uh, it was because the whole process of quitting the PhD was so hard is extremely hard because it's almost like you're producing a human being. Okay. You're <laughs> pregnant, you're pregnant and you have to feed yourself. Well, you have to take care of the baby. You have to be careful. You have to read the books about how to take care of the baby and so on. You have to ask people about it for advice. I mean, it's almost like that. But if you just want to give up, it's almost like you're giving up on life. You put so much time and effort into these projects, developing them and so on. And it just, it was just so difficult. I, it was so hard for me to overcome the fact that uh, I couldn't stop thinking I'd be a failure if I quit my PhD now. Hmm. So it was really that belief that kept me stuck. And the second part was, what am I supposed to do now that I don't want to be a scientist anymore? Because that had been a huge part of me, well, basically since I started university when I was 21 and now I'm 27. So for the longest time, all I knew was I want to be a scientist. Suddenly that goal just wasn't there anymore. So I felt really lost. 
And that's why it took that long. And I mean, I wasn't really inspecting my feelings either. I was clearly very unhappy, but I just kept going. I don't know. I just thought, well, if I just keep going, I'm so close. I'm so close. I can finish it. But I was just really, really unhappy. So I would say the real reason is going back to your question. The real reason is that I finally took the step to respect my feelings that I was not happy. I was burnt out. I was depressed and I was exhausted from doing a PhD. And at the same time, I was just not feeling like I could be myself. I couldn't be creative. I couldn't really be who I am. Mm. And that's why I quit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can imagine because I, Hey, look, you, you come, you come over, you go to Spain, you're like just a stone throws away from the beach. You're looking at it like, going, mm, life is going to be an adventure right now. Then you are, <laughs> then the global pandemic hits. And yeah, you're like, you're in one of the worst countries in Europe for this global That's... pandemic. Like, yeah. if it, like the only country I could think, which was on par was Italy uh, with regards to Spain. Uh, yeah. And while you're trying to do all of this, uh, doing a PhD is not easy in the, like, in the most optimal uh, circumstances. Uh, doing it in that type of situation, no. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. Uh, also doing it in psychology, you must, <laughs> it's like, hmm, how do I feel about this? Was it my mother? Is it my father? Or is it just a general situation in general? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I'm uh -huh. hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean don't get me wrong like i'm still passionate about understanding the human behavior i'm still very interested and curious about basically the human mind i don't mind reading more about the sciences but one of the things was that i just told myself you don't need to be in academia in order to have a further understanding of human be behavior and sciences because i had held on to the belief that I need to be in academia to know more, to learn more. But I think life itself has taught me so much that I don't need to go on that path in order to do that. Mm. So that was also one of the biggest realizations that I had that helped me and pushed me to actually make the decision to quit, to overcome that bias. Mm. Oh, also, when you're studying sort of research methods, uh, development, childhood development, uh, with regards to cognitive science, uh, like, yeah, uh, I'm surprised, like, well, making the, like, machine learning for the next, like, century, uh, yeah, <laughs> now, ah. and, like, now you've taken the leap from that into what you're doing now, what, so what is uh, your sort of current thing now what was your startup called well actually there's a lot of things going on and mm -hmm. indeed that uh, there is an idea brewing between my friend and I we have an idea for a startup and that mm -hmm. all everything should come down around the same time so first uh, I'm like basically freelancing now because I don't feel like working for any companies now I feel like being self-employed Okay. Uh, after the whole long whole thing with a PhD. Mm. And so I'm, uh, I'm doing digital marketing and I started this whole podcast. And at the same time, as I just mentioned that my friend and I had this idea uh, for, uh, for the startup. And the idea is basically to build a platform 
where people can uh, like a booking system. So, you know, traditionally you basically book to go to co-working offices. Okay. But co-working offices are extremely expensive. But we saw this opportunity that now a lot of people are doing a lot of remote work. So there must be an opportunity for those people who want to have a booking system to work somewhere is affordable for individuals. Mm. Um, previously, it's mostly for freelancers, but now it's basically a lot of people, even if you work for a big company, small company, a lot of people are doing remote work, remote jobs. So that's why we thought, okay, would be such a great idea to build a platform, a booking system for people to book places, but to have access to basically cafes, bars, hotels, anywhere we, you can co-work. So we've been working on the idea and also having some ideas for the prototype as well. And I have done some initial market research, interview people and so on. However, I think starting a startup is never easy. I mean, it's always very challenging because I think the idea itself needs to be validated. And once you do some research or you talk to people, you need to come back and inspect that idea and you need to think, okay, is this idea still valid? Is it still solving the problem? Mm -hmm. Do people really have these problems? So right now, uh, these between my friend and I, we're still trying to figure out whether the idea is valid and what we're going to do about it. So it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of utilizing our skills and to put in place. And most importantly, to work as a team. Uh, because in our last meeting, there's been some disagreements. <laughs> and there was a guy who was there and said, this is going to happen more often than you think. Yes. And, yeah. And I thought, that's true. And it's also to like inspect within myself. How am I working with people? Because I have to admit, I've never been great with working pe with people. And I've been like that like since I can remember from university. And I've always had that struggle. And I just thought to myself, okay, it's not a setback. It's about learning and growing. Mm. So, so that's kind of the current progress. We have an idea. I've done some research. I've talked to people. We're curating the idea still. And we have ideas also for prototype. We've had another guy who kind of built this prototype for us about drawing. And we were discussing that, except that my stance was, I want to keep going back to val uh, to validate the idea. And my friend said, I think it's better if we just move forward. You know, don't be stuck in one tiny detail. So <laughs> here, here's why we had that conflict. It's all good. It's all good. It's just part of the process. I told myself it's definitely part of the process. Okay. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Like, put it this way. Yeah. Like, when it comes to any idea, like, when you have that discussion, like the good, like the good aspects of an idea and the bad aspects of the idea come together, and like it's basically when you have that, it evolves and changes. So like hopefully, the bad aspects die off and the good aspects come together and like yeah, grow and gestate and become something more wholesome. Or the good and bad come together and make something completely different where you didn't see it going at all. Because what you're talking about to me, like from what, how I hear it, 
it's kind of the Airbnb uh, for basically desperate, like, well, working space. So like yeah. if you're like if you're a cafe owner or a bar yep. owner uh, with a like with say a large premises, you can like okay use your system to basically book those like like table spots and you work hand in hand, uh, basically mm-hmm. easing the process for the establishment. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but yeah, that's how I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. And we already gave a name. It's called No Desk. No because desk. you don't actually have a desk. You can work from anywhere. Any cafe, mm. any bar, any hotel, uh, lounges, anywhere with Wi-Fi. And we want to have these features like rating systems that rate, for example, the noise level for those okay. who have meetings. Um, maybe this friendly, family-friendly, pet-friendly, you know, these kind of things. So... Mm. These special features can help people filter out what they're looking for. And especially for those who are remote working and traveling at the same time. Because I personally know people who are doing remote work and they want to actually remote work from other countries, which mm-hmm. makes sense. So, so yeah, that is the idea. You're right. <laughs> hey, well, what can I say? I'm, I'm smarter than the average bear, they say. Smarter than the average bear. Yes. But like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the things i would say like you can most probably implement from that if you're doing it like on a global scale again like basically getting all these spaces together one of the aspects which is always missing from that sort of when you're working remotely is that sort of office chit chat office gossip uh that sense of office community if you can sort mm-hmm. of build that into it so like okay you might have like your sort of desk space in this like bar restaurant cafe or wherever but you can like say arrange meetups for either lunches or basically yeah uh after work to like because there's a lot of people out there which mm. are slightly lonely not having that yeah. sort of work office camaraderie you know yeah yeah that is part of the uh idea as well to mm-hmm. um basically when i talk to people about this idea I did get the impression from people that they would love an option to social, to meet with other people, which completely makes sense, especially if you remote work, you don't really have that sense of community from company or company culture anymore. So Mm -hmm. we do want to establish this kind of community where there's option for, for example, every Friday meets or for those who want to meet and gather together based on being on the same platform. So that is a direction as well as part of the idea But to begin with, the focus is the platform itself Mm -hmm. and uh, the community probably will come a little bit later because we cannot have too much at the same time. So kind of like step by step. But yeah, you are on the right track. (laughs) See, what can I say? What can I say? (laughs) You are definitely the smart one. (laughs) As I say, I'm smarter than the average bear. Can't mess with me. Yeah. Yeah. With this and like, yeah, you've mentioned there's been some unforeseen sort of, how can I say, lively discussion between you and your partner. Now, what would you say has been one of the sort of more surprising aspects of getting into basically the startup world over academia? Oh, yeah, that is a good question. So I would say that I kind of always consider myself to be quite pragmatic and quick thinking. Mm -hmm. And this aspect was 
not so appreciated in a way when I was in academia, because in academia, it's about also about validating the idea itself. But you need to be very careful. You need to basically set up, you need to do some research first about what kind of question you're really asking. And then you need to set up hypothesis. Then you need to basically do even more research, read more into it about other research. Maybe you find a gap, maybe you find something and uh, you need to have a good design Then you need to validate the experiment. So everything follows steps and it's a very strict routine, right? But the thing with building a business is different in a way that everything should be moving a little bit faster. You don't really have a lot of time to go into details. So going back to that conflict earlier, I, I would say that both my friend and I are not wrong. It's just because of my academic training. I think naturally, I, I think a little bit more on, okay, is this question valid? Now that I have talked to people and these people are providing these insights and pain points for me that I can see there is a little bit of a loop, I mean, a hole in there that we need to dig a little more into. Mm. But my friend who is even more pragmatic, who of course has been in industry, I mean, he's a project manager. He understands the importance of, we need to do something instead of sticking on one spot and not moving forward. And that is a problem that I encountered back when I was in academia is that you can really stay on one tiny detail for a very long time because it could be that one tiny detail changes everything and every aspect of the research itself. It could be that when you have a flaw in the research design, then maybe your outcome is not accurate. Maybe the research itself cannot be replicated. And when it concerns measuring human behavior, that is a problem because how am I, how am I going to tell people, oh, I've done this research and it shows this and therefore I concluded this. And other people said, but in your design, this is a flaw. How can you say for sure people didn't act like this because you set this up? So yeah. that is exactly why uh, I was very careful about this. Like when we set up the idea, because in a way I started thinking more on the aspect of human behavior and how they approach this and whether they will adopt this platform that we will provide for them, this service, do they actually need it? And of course, not to think on a B2C perspective, but also B2B, would cafes, bars, restaurants, would they want to work with our platform similar as Airbnb? Mm. So, so yeah, so I, I mean, I'm just thinking a lot of, of these things and my friend just said, well, we, we should really be moving forward. We should really be building a prototype and do some uh, user research on that, you know, prototype testing, concept testing, and things like that. And yeah, so I raised the question, I challenged a bit, and uh, yeah, and led to that. We haven't really concluded, but I would say that that's one of the aspects that is different working for a company or having a startup versus academia is that in academia, even though you might be working with different people from different research backgrounds or basically backgrounds in general, but at the same time, you're working around a research problem. But in a startup, it is about selling at the end, selling the product, whether people will use it or not. So 
that is kind of the priority. You don't have forever to work on the idea. You don't have forever to think, to try to test every detail on the idea itself. So I guess it's about a balance and also work with people from even more different backgrounds, such as my friend who has background in engineering and now he's a project manager. You know, the way you communicate is like at a company, different departments, people from different backgrounds they communicate differently. And it's something that I don't really have much experience in. And I can already see that in, in terms of communication. And that is something that I'm trying to work on because you do have to find, you know, a common ground that you can reach. You know, communication is really the key to effective working and especially in a startup. Yeah, because like this is the thing with regards to where your startup is, it's, how can I put it? It's in a weird place of limbo because, okay, when you're doing tech, uh, doing anything with tech, okay, it can either go very, very quickly or very, very slow. It's just one of those things. Sometimes you just don't know which place it might hit. And like, because you're like, okay, yeah, I've got to do this, got to do that. And you're thinking through the steps very like, you know what I mean? Being very pragmatic about it, getting it to get it right, which is a good thing. Mm. It's just a case of when like, I always sometimes worry when tech is like, okay, if I went, when, so when will your prototype be up and running? And you might go three months and you'll be like totally sincere about that. And it's like, yeah, three months. Okay, great. God knows how much time goes by and you're like going, hey, what the hell? What's going on? Uh, how do you think you might sort of like combat some of the potential setbacks which are, might be ahead of you? And like, look, I'd say curiosity. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, on top of my head, I can already think of a lot, but I think already my timeline estimation for when the product will come out mm-hmm. versus my friend's timeline estimation is already very different. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm not like, so I have experience working with startups. I have, uh, when I was doing my PhD, I helped a friend and he was doing startup on crypto. Um, building an analytics, co- analytics tool. So I kind of experienced what that was like. And now actually one of my clients, um, it's also a crypto startup. So I'm doing uh, market research for them, marketing in general. And I can already feel, combine these experiences together. I, I know one thing for sure that it definitely takes time. I was talking to one of the uh, startup founders who's also working, I mean, he's also, I mean, he, they have a product already, but they, you know, they went through this like Techstart uh, program and it's in Lisbon. And there, of course, you, you try to build a product and then you try to show, uh, you have to get investors to invest, right? And that's kind of the point. We need to get the investors to invest. And, but it's not easy to build a product, especially you're trying to build an app. Mm. I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is we hope that this is an app that people navigate on, on a platform where they can easily find something. Of course, a website as well, but an app is so difficult to build. It takes so long. So it's not easy to estimate the timeframe for this. My estimation is that, I mean, his estimation is that we launch next year. And my estimation was like, 
Hell no, we're not. <laughs> it takes it takes so long. It takes so long. Like you have no I mean no idea front end back end engineering development. This this takes time. I mean, this other startup that I'm working with right now, uh, you know, I'm working marketing with them. I also have to do market research for them, similar mm. process of what I'm doing now with this startup. And I think it really is up to the leader of the startup because if the leader himself is impatient, note impatient, then you're gonna rush through the process and you don't want to spend all that time and money build a product that eventually people will not use. And that was one of the setbacks that we had was because I don't believe that what we have now is enough to validate the idea going back to the point I made earlier mm -hmm. I feel the need to do more research but he feels the need to already move forward I still have concerns for okay I still think we need to talk to more people and if you really want hardcore data that's fine we can set up research and we can set up survey research so we can have hundreds of people like basically answering questions but the problem with doing survey is that you don't get meaningful insights from these users so that's why of course the combined method is better but to begin with is always better to talk to people literally talk to as many people as you can so yeah i would say the first step back is time frame estimation and i don't blame him i don't blame myself either because as humans we're not good at estimating time we're just not good at estimating time and I mean, this is called a planning fallacy. So we always, always plan something ahead and we think we will get this in this short time frame, but it always ends up taking much longer than we expected. So it is okay. I mean, this is also one of the things that we kind of need to talk about and agree on the, the timeline. I think it's good to plan out a timeline, but at the same time, we have to be realistic about it. And that is a setback. Now, yeah, you know what? What I get about you, like, and like, this is a good thing about you, actually. Like, yes, you're a very practical person, uh, practical thinking, and like, yeah, uh, getting that, getting that information when you went, yeah, with surveys, it's sometimes not like the most valid. Yeah, fair point to you. Fair point. Uh -huh. So, this, like, trying to, like, so working with your partner, trying to get everything just right. Like, ah. so seeing, like observing how other startups have gone along the way, like what would you say has been one of the biggest lessons you've picked up from that? Because there is so many things I could say with startups, you can go, oh, you screwed up there, you screwed up there, you've done that. I don't know how you managed to come up with that brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. What I think, I think it's okay to fail. Because admitted, if you look at statistics, startups, like basically 99% of startups fail. But it's about picking up the lessons from failures. And I, I think maybe because of that experience working with other startups and seeing their struggles and so on. And I mean, this other guy that I talked to, he told me that they started this idea three years ago, mm. three years, and they're still trying to get fundings, right? And I think that, first of all, it's okay that you fail. 
And second, it's okay to fail and come back with better ideas. And it's okay to iterate based on the mistakes that you make, because that is part of the process. It's not going to be next year we launch, the year after, yay, and uh, we, we get a lot of customers and we get several rounds of uh, funding and so on. So it's not going to work like that. And this aspect, I think, is because of my experience in academia. I somehow feel, I wouldn't say relaxed, but kind of like not nervous or anxious about because I think this process is very similar to academic research that there is an idea, there is a hypothesis, but it's highly likely the hypothesis is not going to be valid. So the results is not going to be significant. You cannot tell people that my hypothesis is valid and therefore people behave certain way. So if research is like that, and the chance of getting the research to be your hypothesis to be right and to be able to be replicated is so slim, then it's not a surprise that doing a startup, a business idea is similarly. Because at the end of the day, we're all working around the whole people problem, right? We're trying to solve problems based on people, whether you're doing human-related research or you're building an idea of, for a product. It has to be tested out. Mm. Yeah, because like this is the thing. Like one of the things you bring up when you say yes, taking like one of your friends three years, uh, and they're not quite anywhere near to the startup process. But the other thing, which like it kind of leads me to, it's like when you're talking about the rounds of funding. Now it's Copenhagen, right? Okay, you were in Germany, right? This is like seeing like Germany, especially Bonn, is like one of the tech hubs of Europe, like in London, like there is this, like if you're in Old Street, they've got the digital circle. And let's see, um, after that, I'm kind of at a loss without sort of either jumping to New York or Silicon Valley. And then basically, yeah, sort of India, mm. like doing some support. Um, mm. With regards to sort of find that sort of VC funding and stuff like that, or angel investors, mm. Is it a fruitful place or is it a case of there's like one or two and you have to sort of go out of country to find uh, those people? Yeah, so uh, my friend has done some research on fundings. Initially, we thought to get uh, European EU uh, funding as well because they have that. They also have, I mean, I think they provide a lot of opportunities, especially for young entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that young anymore as in they, I mean, on their website, they even how, categorize. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 27, but I remember reading. On their website, on their website, I think uh -huh. there was like, oh, this is speci uh, specifically designed for student or a young, like even younger than me. Okay, uh, that's uh -huh. fine. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, like, look, you, you are... You're pushing those ancient times, uh, being that <laughs> 27-year-old. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But so, so there's definitely options from the EU. Uh, and especially, I think, if you're doing a, a startup idea around sustainability, it's mm. such an important topic, and you definitely have plenty of opportunities. But otherwise, if you look different countries, 
I know for sure, for example, if you're doing something with fintech, for example, going to Estonia would be great. Oh. It really depends on what you're trying to do. And you kind of have to do research also whether in each country people have the need for it. So when I was just doing something really sim as simple as Google Trends for keywords for, I don't know, co-working cafes and how much and how often, how frequent people search for these things, you can kind of see which countries people do for that. Mm. And for example, Portugal is also a good option. Like the government of Portugal, they also provide good options for people as well. And it's not extremely expensive to go there. And uh, Denmark, uh, we also looked into Denmark as well. They also have, but uh, some of the problem would be that, for example, in Denmark, at least the options that I found is that you kind of have to have the product already. Mm. So it has to be there. But here's the thing, it does take a lot of time and money and effort to build you know, for example, the app that I'm talking about uh, for our startup. So that is the problem. So I would say that initially, it's not a bad idea to look for angel investors. I mean, it, there's a lot of platforms online where you can do that. There's a lot of platforms that helps connect investors to um, even back home in Taiwan. I literally just found a platform today where they connect all kinds of investors angel investors specifically to start people who really need the money, the funding. So I don't think it's a bad idea to start with that because I think the requirements to get funding from the government is um, slightly higher. It's more difficult. So for an early stage startup, um, if you don't think that you can get there, like I think right now we cannot get there yet because like I said, we really need to work away around how to convince investors to invest for us. And before we do that, we need to even show evidence, numbers, to show them that here's the number that I've done research to validate this idea works and people will buy it. So before we do all that, uh, I think the possibility of getting government funding is slightly slimmer mm -hmm. compared to getting an angel investor, I would say. Ah, like, ah, like, wow. Got some long road ahead. I got to tell you that, girl. Got some long yeah. road ahead. But yeah. yeah. But like this is the thing. Like with that, it I get this vibe that I'm not too sure how long you might be in Copenhagen for. I feel like you might relocate somewhere which might be a little bit more advantageous uh to your business. I'm I could be wrong, but like, yeah. Like, am I wrong? You're not wrong. Um <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I, I thought of uh, implementing the idea better in Taiwan mm. because co-working culture there is much stronger. I don't see, at least in my experience in Copenhagen, I don't see a very, very strong co-working cafe culture. It really, like I said, it really depends on the country and that's why Picking the right place to start the business is also very important. And in Taiwan, and I mean, in generally in Asian culture, the whole cafe, working, studying at cafe is a huge thing. Even, uh, even when I was in middle school, uh, back then, there were already a lot of people who loved to study at like cafes, Starbucks, like my sister loves going there all the time. And when you're preparing for exams and I mean, also associated with culture because students 
students in Taiwan or maybe in Asia in general, we have to study very long hours because of the school system. Mm. So naturally, we might get bored of libraries. I remember in middle school, there's not always um, availability at libraries because you have to go like really early, especially during exam periods. Otherwise, it's completely occupied. And where else are you going to go if you don't uh, have any spaces? You go to cafes. So I have done this before, even in middle school, preparing for exam to meet up with some classmates or people who want to study together. And we just find a cafe or even a restaurant. I remember one time to like study together. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Because like this is the thing. It, it's one of those things. When you say Thailand to me, um, recently over the, I would say over the last sort of, I'm going to say five years, maybe a little bit longer, but it's sort of taken up more popularity over the last sort of five years or so. The sort of digital nomad, uh, like, uh, culture is quite heavy uh, in Thailand. So you've got, like, a lot of people, which either do some marketing like yourself, uh, or, like, they're doing something for a blog or something, or they're doing, like, working on all types of other things. I remember interviewing one chap who was, like, doing, like, a 3D video uh, over in Thailand. And like, he was like mm. quite surprised when he was like expecting it to be him and one other guy and a whole production company showed up and it was like, hey, where do you want us? He was like, okay. <laughs> it was like, kind of like, um, you, you go yeah. over there and you go over there. But yeah. he managed to get it through. But yeah, with that yeah. going on in Thailand, it's a crest of a wave, which I don't think it's going to break anytime soon. If you go at me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're completely I mean, of course COVID has changed things up a bit, right? But mm. um that that is kind of my concern is because I see that in most European countries now, even though things are open, I'm afraid with the trend now, it could be possible for another lockdown. And I don't think we have any solutions to continue with this app. Um, if there is another lockdown, because everyone's going to be forced to stay at home. While in Asia, um, there's been, I think, one lockdown once in Taiwan, but most of the times people are still living. So, so their strategy, I, I always call it people from the south part of the hemisphere, because that also includes, of course, Australia, New Zealand countries, and in many, many countries in Asia where they they actually implement a heavy quarantine policy, two-week quarantine policy when you arrive. Mm. But at the same time, they try to keep everything very clean, zero cases, so people can still kind of live normal life without, you know, going through these measures and horrible lockdowns over and over and over that it really damages the businesses. So that's why I could kind of see, like really trying to see the future that it's, a better and higher possibility. I also check the funding options there too, but I think because still, I think in the West, in Europe, or even in America, it's um, still more opportunistic when it comes to funding option. So I'm still debating on that because I can see that if this was implemented in Taiwan, it could probably be more successful. I mean, in Asia in general, mm. where the cafe culture is even larger. If you're aware, for example, in Japan and in Taiwan, because people love going to cafes a lot. So there's a lot of theme cafes. So these theme cafes basically started becoming popular based on some kind of theme. For example, a cat cafe, anime character cafe, 
or something like that, Studio Ghibli-based cafe, things like that. So that's why I could see opportunities there. And I have to probably check that out because I, I did some research on that, but didn't go forward with it because I have to consider that as a partner. He lives in Germany. He works in Germany. So when you when when you have when you have uh, a multi background international uh, team, you need to consider them too. So I haven't really raised this to move forward because I feel at the moment it could be quite bold, especially you know if my teammate is like based in Europe, looking to options in Europe. Hey, you never know if like circumstances carry on the way they are. You, you might go, hey, when I come to Thailand, you might, okay, yeah, it might be a good thing. Because like with regards to a lot of the sort of European lockdowns, which have been like kicking off, um, especially in Holland, um, Austria, uh, to say the least, <laughs> um, it has been interesting times. And I think uh, with regards to the UK, I don't know mm. if they're going to do a lockdown again. Um, yeah. I honestly don't know. Um, like there's part of me which is like, I'm kind of like watching them because I remember being in the gym uh, December mm. time, like, um, oh, I don't think they're going to lock it down. I don't think, I can't see them locking it down. And yeah, that weekend, they just went, yep, it's closed. <laughs> off, off you go, mm. back to your homes. So mm. like, I'm not too sure where Europe's going to be. But with mm. regards to like the project you are conceiving of, what you want to put forward, what you want to put out there in the world, it is one of those things where the world is going to most probably be a very different place than it yeah. is today uh, with regards to mo people moving around, people going out and about. Mm. And I think it's not going to be in the sense of a negative sense. I'm going to say it's going to be in uh, the realm of a positive sense because the mm. look, lockdowns will end, like mm. normality will return or whatever, mm. like, whatever quote unquote, the new normal they will say is, but yeah, there is still mm. going to be a need, but I do think the sort of office uh, based working, like going into an office mm. five days a week, I think that's kind of changed forever uh, in some regards. Mm. Because mm. So many people were like, it was moving that way, but it was like sort of 10 years off in the horizon, five, 10 years off. Mm. Now mm. it's like, okay, can you work from home and do an effective job? Yes. Uh, mm. Do you want to be in the office five days a week? Um, not, with an no. hour, not with an hour commute. If there's a place near to me, which is like, say, 15, 20 minutes away by car or like by bike or whatnot, uh, just so to get away from the rest of the family, because, yes, let's just say work is a little bit difficult when you've got like a small person around like going, looking at you like, going, ah, you're here. Uh, yeah. I want your undivided attention. Let's go. I mean, I'll tell you what. I think that. I understand why a lot of people want to just work at home, remote work completely, because I think the whole office culture is very overrated. I mean, you have to be very lucky to have good colleagues, good vibes. And I have had friends who, who I mean, I kind of share the same belief that if we're colleagues, we're just colleagues, you know, it, it's not really like you go to work to make friends. 
So for me, a workplace is just a workplace. I don't always see a workplace to be the place where you make friends. I never have that kind of expectation. And if it does happen, that's great because、uh, the chances of it happening very frequently and for a lot of people is probably not very high because it is just a place for people to gather and work for the company to produce for the company. It's not really a place to hang out and work. And I see that in many big companies or companies in general, they're trying to really implement a nice workplace culture. So therefore, there's positions such as、uh, culture,、uh, culture assistant, or people and culture director, things like that, which is basically a higher above HR, something like that. And I see the importance of that to elaborate and build a system to have a good culture. But at the same time, I also think it's just Overrated. I'm fine working at home. I mean, I, I have friends outside of work. If I want to meet more friends outside of work, I can't. And because of that, I mean, during COVID, I tried that. It's so easy to meet people on the internet. Because of COVID, people are really gathering together on internet to try to push this too. So you join kinds of like community, and you ask, "Hey, who wants to meet?" And then you go out there and meet people. It's not that difficult. You meet based on interests. You meet based on passion. You meet based on, I don't know, ideas that you share and so on. It doesn't have to be through work or workplace. Yeah, but like this is the thing. Maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned, but like this is the whole thing. Like you know what we're doing right now, talking like over a great deal of distance, hundreds of miles away. It like this is great and all, but like if we're in the same、mm. room together. That would be、mm. better because they've、mm. got the body language connection. Like yes, like yeah, mm. most probably、mm. a little bit more jokes would be flying around because yes, in the room.、Mm. Like, yeah,、mm. God help. Yeah, God any God help anyone when I do get a studio of my own and get them in. But that's another story.、But、yeah, yeah. With regards to human interaction, when it's、mm. a group setting, and this is the reason why I was like talking about. Community earlier,、mm-hmm. so, like because like the whole thing is you work remotely, you're, by, you're isolated by yourself. If you're doing it over the internet, it's okay. But when you're、mm-hmm. together, and if you can like bring that aspect together, kind of what WeWorks kind of does, you got something a little bit more. You got that some that little bit of X factor, and like this is the thing. And look for yourself. You're like, hey, I can, I can work remotely. I can do it all like that, no problem. But for other people, it's not kind of that sort of thing wouldn't work well with them. And I think that's where some people have suffered、uh, with that in、mm. all the sort of lockdowns, and hence、mm. the reason why you see people so upset、uh, in、mm. other countries where lockdowns are being put in place. You know.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is completely and entirely subjective. That is very true. But I also think going back to the whole remote work, digital nomad. Yeah. Without the possibility of a complete remote work, you couldn't possibly do that because、oh, no. you would have to take holidays off for from work and so on, and you'll have to arrange days and do that. And back in the days, com- a lot of companies probably wouldn't allow someone to work on the other. End of you know Earth or something <laughs> where the time zone differences are larger and so on. I mean nowadays companies are somewhat more flexible. Of course, that also depends on the factor of what type of job you do. If you're a writer, then it's so easy to implement working anywhere or working at home. And if you're a developer, 
uh, which actually I met many of them uh, when I was when I first moved to Valencia. I actually went to an event the first weekend before the whole lockdown happened, of course. <laughs> but a lot of freelancers, they literally, that's before COVID. And I was so envious of that, that they just moved to Spain to have their fun, living the life of Spain while being uh, a freelancer, uh, like a developer or something like that. And for me, that is amazing. So you can still meet people. Yeah. I mean, you don't meet people through work but you can still meet people but not at this you know not in the same sense so i would say it is a general theme that we crave that human interaction whether it's through work or it's off work with your friends that yeah. is the general theme and that was also the reason why that i got a little bit depressed like in march the whole march i was just kind of like very lonely i was so down but uh, I think the whole virtual assistance of many softwares, apps, and so on, you know, Zoom, for example, it did help as well. And I remember at the time, I think there was this app that was popular called Party, Party something, Party House uh, uh, or something. Yeah, like I, I know the one you're talking about. It, it, yeah. it exploded. And just as quickly as it exploded into activity, it yeah. appeared literally overnight. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there was this other app that got popular uh, that also literally just went down. Uh, was it Yo? No, it was something house where you go on and then you just talk and then oh, other clubhouse. Yeah, clubhouse. Yeah, like it. It was. It literally boomed. I one of my Japanese friends sent me an invite. It was oh so mysterious. You have to get an invite <laughs> in order to be on it. Yeah. And, and, I got an invite, I went on it, and I'm like, okay, this is cool. But I think after a few days, I was like, eh, I still prefer something visual. It's a little bit weird. And you don't really get a chance to talk. It was like some kind of influencer, podcaster, whoever that is popular who is hosting this. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it, it it's it's just like you're there and not really interacting. You're listening. That's it. So, yeah. And I remember a while, a while back, I came across this article that said, uh, why did party, why did, what is it called? Party, party, no, sorry. Uh, party uh, house or like the, like party house was the one we were talking about before, I think, uh, and clubhouse. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, clubhouse. Oh, so confusing. Yeah, <laughs> why did, why did clubhouse, clubhouse fail? Like where, how did they fail? You know, they also went up and boom, everyone was oh, talking about it. And then suddenly, like, no one's really using it anymore. So, yeah. But it was all these apps. They saw the opportunities that people just want to connect and talk to each other. Mm. You know, they want to find ways. And things, things actually, because of these kind of stuff, like, things actually started getting better uh, in April for me. Because a friend of mine and I, we decided to start working out together virtually. So every day we get up working out. I mean, come on, we, we got no one to show results to. We just need a goal, something to work toward. Actually, we set a goal. We said in the summer, everything's going to be better. So yes. we need to have summer body. Summer so body. We, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are my beach ready? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Are we shredded? Are we ready for that? It was fun. It was really fun. And, I mean, I even started playing, I mean, video games. 
I, I don't really play video games often, like when, when everything's open, but I was just so bored. I was trying to find activities to do. So on top of working out, I was gaming with one of my friends or two of my friends a lot. We were always on Discord, chatting, gaming, long <laughs> hours. We don't even care, you know, because people are just desperate and they really want to talk to people and so on. And this is understandable. And I also understand the sentiment why people are so angry with the new whole lockdown measure because it's so exhausting. And yeah, of course, we're all like tired from that. Mm. It's completely understandable. And not to mention uh, the amount of people that suffer uh, more from these mental health struggles because of the lockdown and COVID and so on. So I completely understand. But going back to the whole remote work, I, I still really like remote work a lot. I just love it. I mean, the only problem, the only complaint I'll make is that I don't get to dress up. Like at the beginning of the lockdown, I was literally in my pajamas every day. But at, at the end, I realized, you know what? I need to put something on that is kind of like a formal attire, and, you know, so to kind of like wake me up from the comfort. Oh, I could just see it now. You get, you're there, like having a Zoom meeting, camera off, and like, yeah, just having your cereal just happen. Mic off. Yeah. And then they go, yeah, if we can have like, all our cameras on, just whole groups yeah. of people panicking. Just like, <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Actually, this actually reminds me of all these Zoom meetings, right? Mm. I mean, I, I think people, people see the opportunity to connect more. So they, they have excuses to have more and more meetings. And oh, I have had many meetings where someone is presenting something and I'd be like, not there in person, who cares if I'm actually listening? I never liked meetings anyway. And before it was in person, I kind of forced, I was forced to actually be there and pretend that I care. But now <laughs> I can just turn the cam off, my golf, I can do whatever. So a lot of times it just be either working on my other stuff or, oh, I'm hungry now. I would just cook something on the side, put my laptop on the side, someone's still presenting something, cook my stuff. And, you know, sometimes I watch YouTube videos and stuff <laughs> like that. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people have been doing this kind of stuff with Zoom meetings, you know, uh, just, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll keep this to a minimum because, like, yeah, going, wait, wait a second. Wait, is Diane, wait, why is Diane's camera off? I, remember, I listen to that podcast. <laughs> Turn on the camera, Diane. It's like, what? It's like, it's like, it's like shit. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this, this is like two things, right? One is, why do we have so many meetings? And two is, and two is, yes. If the meeting is not held in person, people are going to do that. It's really hard to stay concentrated and focused with really long hours meetings while there's many other better distractions around you at home. So I'm pretty sure people have done that. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I have, I have to ask, like, yes, skipping out on, like, yeah, Zoom meetings aside and all of that. Mm, like, she's only joking. Anyone who might be her employer, she's only joking. Yeah, like, she's not serious about this at all. Like, hey, Diane, why don't you turn off the camera? No, joking. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So what led you to go, hey, 
let me start a podcast. You're five episodes in. No, sorry, six episodes in, which are live at currently. Yeah, um, actually nine episodes. Wait, how many episodes? I don't even remember. I, I cannot remember. Wait, sorry, six, 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 sorry. Uh, yeah, my memory is really bad. Yes. And what made me want to start a podcast? I think it's because of my struggles, overcoming my struggles during my PhD and coming to realize who I really am, embracing myself, which took a very long time. It's not easy. And I believe there's a lot of people out there who still don't know themselves very well because we're also overwhelmed by the whole hustle culture, which is completely overrated, that we always feel the need to outperform. We're a burnt out millennial generation that feel the need to constantly be productive. I used to watch all kinds of productivity tips while I was doing my PhD, working long hours, not resting. I had no hobbies, interests outside of work. So yeah, all of that combined together, it just made me realize that I wasn't living. I didn't have a life. And what else is there to do if I don't try to inspire other people with that kind of experience and to learn also from other people? Because there's just so much to it in life that it is such a shame if we're so buried in work, if we're so buried to to these achievements that we want to show people. And it's really funny because I also used to want to work for corporate companies, big companies, tech giants. I used to have ideals and belief as such because of the people I surround myself with, because all the people who, who are in my circle, they're somewhat going on similar path. And naturally, I think I'm feeling so behind. I used to think that I felt very behind because I chose to do a PhD while my friends are climbing their corporate ladder. But now I don't think that anymore because I think I've chosen exact path that is suitable for me. And I think that I'm very into storytelling and I'm passionate about connecting with people. And I love talking to people. And that's why I'm doing it. And of course, combined with my interest in psychology and human behavior. And there's just so much to know. Mm, outstanding. Because like this is the thing, the podcast game. Like it's one of those things when someone goes, yes, I'm going to start a podcast. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, start it. Now you get people which sort of sometimes get caught in. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've got to make sure everything's perfect. Uh, I've got to decide. No, no, no. Don't don't need to wait for everything to be perfect. Just start your podcast. No, no, no. It has to be absolutely perfect. Or then you get the other people which they start their podcast and it's like, yeah, my podcast is going really great. And five episodes, six episodes, and done. You've gone past the five and quit level because most people was like one, two, three, four, five. And that's it. No one likes my podcast. I've tried to get my friends to listen. No, I'm done. But yeah, with regards to myself. No. Yes, no. No, I mean, I feel like it's about how you set the goal. Because I, at the beginning, I also spent too much time thinking about, I need to make the podcast perfect. Well, actually, a friend of mine sat me down and said, why don't we just start already? You're spending too much time thinking about making it perfect. I have to admit, it did brew in my head for a bit. Yeah, it brew in my head for a little bit. I never really took action until he said that. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And initially, I thought that I would just have 10 episodes. But now I have many upcoming recordings that definitely exceeded 10 episodes. And I, I really enjoyed this. So initially, the goal was 10 episodes try it, experience it, and see what it's like. If I don't like it, cut it. If I like it, continue. Uh, mm. Because I like it so much, I even thought 
I'm going to up my game. I'm going on YouTube. I'm going to start a YouTube channel as well. So now I have a YouTube channel concept planned and things, topics I want to talk about and the kind of audience I want to gear towards. And I did some research too, you know, keyword research, trend research on YouTube as well. So I definitely want to do the YouTube as well and just waiting for the Black Friday to buy some equipment. But um, yeah, so so yeah, that is upcoming plan that I no longer want to make it just a plan and actually do it. And you might wonder, okay, how are you going to have time and energy and drive to do so many things? I have a podcast. I have my other job as a marketer. Well, two jobs as well. Um, and uh, I'm as a freelancer and I, I have this, you know, uh, YouTube thing that I want coming. There's actually a lot of things. And I have to say, the struggle is real. <laughs> I mean, that struggle is real. And also because I think I just had too many things on my plate uh, in October. I, I was just so stressed basically the whole month. I was so buried in all, doing all these things, especially launching a podcast. I want to launch like four or five episodes at the same time. And, and then I eventually launched like three at the same time before. I can't remember. So, uh, yeah, it was it was so much work that... And at the, at the beginning, I tried to do all the editing myself, but now like I hire someone from Fiverr to do the editing, the audio clips. But <laughs> yeah, I, I was so I was so dead. I was so stressed. And that was not a good solution because I literally had just too many things going on. And at the same time, I think that was a month I had to do market research for the other startups. So I had so many interviews scheduled uh, to talk to customers and plus the customer discovery interviews I had conducted for the startup that also took time to find people plus I can't even pay them and so on so yeah I was so overwhelmed I have to say the struggle is real and uh I was just in Norway last week and after coming back from a trip I'm like you know what Diana you gotta sit down inspect the struggles breathe you need time off you need to have balance especially the downside of working for yourself is that Sometimes you can have too many things and I'm a very ambitious person. I always like, I want more. I want more. Not enough. I need to I, do more. I haven't picked that up from you at all. No, 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 that's like, no, you just seem to be this modest, like quite shy retiring type. Yeah, no, that, no, no. That is so me i wish to be like that i wish to be like that as you go i wish to be like that i wish to be like that okay yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but uh i think now that i've reached a little bit better balance um we we will see we will see it'll be an update a year later i'll come back to your show and i'll be like hey how's it going uh I, I am still burnt out and stressed because I have now a different startup or something like that. And two YouTube channels, who knows? So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun life. Well, like this is the thing. You're going to have the edge over many of the people who do podcasts because you are, are doing marketing. So, you know what I mean? You've got some, like, some important key skills right there which will get you out to more people uh, than, say, yeah, the average podcaster. 
which I don't think you're going to be. No, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is also a part where I spend a lot of time. And I, especially Instagram, because I'm mostly using Instagram to reach. And Instagram takes a lot of time. I mean, first, of course, the keywords are important, everything. And I, I did my homework. I even bought a book to do some research on that, you know. <laughs> I watched a lot of YouTube videos and gurus talking about some marketing tips and stuff. And um, yeah, it is hard because you do need organic engagement in order for people to really like you, follow you and show your authenticity. But that takes a lot of time. And if you don't have some kind of assistance, you have to, of course, do it yourself. And I think right now, that's kind of where I spend most time. And on top of that, I'm very strict with myself on the show notes. I'm like, I need to have really great show notes where there's some research, there's good content, quality content, so people can read it. And on top of that, I'm like, I also want to write blogs because, you know, content, content strategy, that's very important to increase the website traffic as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going on, plus the Facebook page as well and LinkedIn, that's a whole nother level of game. So yeah, it can be very overwhelming, but I think it's a kind of a fun part of digital marketing, which is also what I'm doing for crypto startup, which is even more fun because when it comes to fintech cryptocurrency, it is a complete different community, uh, different audiences, different strategy. So I think this part is definitely really fun uh, because we're now like I've done some research and you know interviews and so on. Now that I have found we're especially users in Taiwan, because that's kind of the market that we're targeting my client and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for example, they use Telegram. Sometimes they use Twitter. But Taiwanese people, they love being on Facebook. They love Facebook platforms. So we're definitely going to target that. And on the other hand, Discord is a much more uh, stronger community for crypto investors or traders here in the west in europe or even in america so yeah. this is the interesting thing as well and yeah i just feel like i'm learning a lot and through these content planning strategy learning about things you also learn as well because you learn about the topic because you have to plan you have to do the research as well so you i learned so much about crypto and i actually got into investing more in crypto because of that as well yeah like just like when you say investing in crypto now like what i think of like with crypto now is okay you've got your dogecoin like yeah, yeah. diamond hands to the moon yeah. <laughs> like you've got like yeah bitcoin and like which which i think in my mind that is the gold standard for sort of cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. at this present mm -hmm. time and when it comes to ethereum it's like for me that is that is the sort of gold standard for contracts, like basically mm. like crypto contracts, which people will think, what? Crypto contracts? Look, if you've got an NFT, it's always going to be oh. on Ethereum. And basically yeah. you can yeah. like, have a smart contract to like keep on paying through it and like keep things going uh, that mm -hmm. way. But like, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm. I, I, yeah. 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 So it really depends, right? I think when you buy uh, small small coins, especially those with potential, and if you know if you don't know whether it has potential or not, you have to just 
go on, I don't know, Twitter. And when people talk about it, they start going crazy. This is the moment, man. This is the moment that you put money down. And I have earned quite some money uh, yeah. some weeks ago with Dogecoin because it just boomed suddenly. And then I'm like, money down, money down, <laughs> sell, and sell. So I actually gained some money from that as well. And I'm not like crazy rich or something. I'm not like these big YouTubers. I follow a lot of like investor YouTubers who talk about investments and stuff. Well, and uh, I'm not like them. Yeah, yeah. There He's one go. of my favorites. He's one hey, of my favorites. Uh, meet Kevin. Meet Kevin, yes. Yep. I mean, I, I love watching also Grant Stephan's uh, podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, the Ice Coffee Hour. Oh, I just love when he gets all these guests to come on and talk about investment strategies and so on. So also like uh, how, how you start investing. I mean, I'm not going to be rich like them, like millions down and so on. I'm not going to be like that. Oh, come on, Brian. You don't know that. You don't know that. You're only, okay. 20, you're only 27. You're just a baby startup at person yeah. yourself. Like yeah, yeah, plans and yeah. ambitions, girl. Plans and ambitions. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I don't know that, but I know that I know that investment is so important. I started investing when I so at the beginning when I first got my first job when I was mm-hmm. a research assistant. I I first started with saving because the rule of thumb is always you need to have some kind of saving for emergency, and yeah. only after that, yeah, only after that. Uh, you can start investing. So once I got enough for emergency, I mean, this is also subjective. I mean, the standard is that, but it depends on the person. Once I, once I started working in Germany and started accumulating a bit more savings, then I thought, okay, it's time to hit the investment game. And I have made mistakes. I literally lost. At the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I just put some down for, I remember it was Netflix or Spotify, I can't remember, Future Stock, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even do my homework. So <laughs> I think I, I, I gained something from something else for like 250 euros. I'm like, oh my God, I just made 250 euros. Okay, now I just got tax return and I have the money to invest more. So I got tax return of 3K at Lokuhao. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I will put a thousand five hundred down for this future stock. Didn't do research, did nothing, and I lost them all the next day. <laughs> and then I was like, something must be wrong. I reached out to the customer service and I said, something must be wrong. Like I lost all my money. Where's my money? And uh, they went at this time, this hour, the second. I'm exaggerating. You bu- you bought this. And then this happened and of course you lost the money. So <laughs> I remember after that, I was a bit traumatized and I actually stayed away from the platform for a bit because I'm like, no way. So yeah, you have, I, I believe that I'm definitely a very risk-seeking person. So that was a huge mistake. <laughs> uh I learned from my mistake and now I'm, I'm approaching it more steadily and of course to diversify your portfolio as always. And of course you can invest in something a little bit risky, but now my strategy is if you don't know whether this will do well or not, whether it's ETF stocks, index funds, whatever, right? Put not too much money, just a little bit, maybe like let's say 50, 100 euros mm-hmm. and, and see how it performs. And once you see how it performs, of course, you should try to go on it, uh, go on the platform and check frequently, not just like come back two weeks later. Then you can decide, okay, is this 
a steady growth or if it's going up and down too much. And sometimes with crypto, though, like with these small coins, uh, you really have to be on time. Like you need to be on the trend with other people and do it. And you need to know the moment to sell. And of course, if you want to even get more into it, yeah, you have to kind of learn technical analysis. But yes. I don't have time for that right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, these are like my take from my mistake. And now with that, at least with that strategy, I now have better, better looking portfolio where it's not huge losses. And, you know, it's sometimes rising and sometimes lose a little bit, but generally going quite steady. Yeah, and I think with regards to the sort of smaller sort of crypto like coins and everything like this, you've got to really sort of like, uh -huh, you've got to have, um, how can I say, a strong constitution because, yes, mm. uh, it's just so chaotic, so like so, so mad. Uh, and if you're not yeah. ready for it, yeah, you can lose your shirt uh, in yeah. a blink of an eye. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And well, for now, I think usually when I decide to invest or not is really either the word of mouth, you know, from someone around me who invests and like, oh, I'm gaining, you should, you know, because there's already an established trust between you and the person that you know, or when you observe this kind of trend on, uh, for example, I'm on eToro, they always send you email almost every day about, I don't know, this is going up, this is going down, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then people talk about it. And, you know, if you do copy trading, these top traders, of course, you have to select them carefully. They also give you some kind of analysis. This is going up, this is going down, why, whatever, you know. And they might try to somehow predict what might happen next, but you, you never know. So it depends on the kind of person that you're copying from. And I would say for any beginners, copy trading is a good first step because you can kind of like, don't need to do much you just need to copy and uh yeah it's it's a good way to get some kind of uh income so yeah in regards to uh investing i wouldn't even say investing i would say when it regards to small coins is almost like trading because investing is i would do investment in steady coins like bitcoin bitcoin's kind of like compared to smaller coins like dogecoin and so on shiba you know it's relatively steady because these small coins, they go crazy. But if you want to gain money from these small coins, you really need to observe and then react, but then react quick. And then for the smaller ones, you just put money down. But even if there's losses, don't panic. Just let it sit. Uh, <laughs> I would say good luck with that. <laughs> like, yeah. Good luck with that. But you know, but yeah, thing. yeah. I think there's not a many a person who would be able to take that sort of pressure. <laughs> it's like I'm no, no. But yeah, I have like my final question for you. Like one of the questions I'm quite interested to know because look, with yourself, you like you seem to be like yes, expanding and growing in many directions. Like where do you like where do you see the sort of not the actual end goal, but where do you see the direction of young Diane here going in, say, the next five years or so? Oh, that is such a good question. I would say, I would say that in five years, 
five years is quite long, relatively long. I will be doing a lot of things. I cannot tell you specifically what kind of things I'll be doing, but I can tell you that it's going to become less and less likely for me to work for someone. Instead, it will be more and more likely that I work for myself, whether it's a form of freelancing or starting a business or having a successful, well, we, we don't want to be too optimistic, right? A uh, successful startup. Uh, be optimistic, uh, I say. Like that, okay. you're going to need that. <laughs> optimistic, then, yeah, I would say the chance of, for me to, to actually work for someone else is going to be quite slim. Because I just enjoy working for myself so much more, uh, whether like, you know, starting my own business, having my own clients or starting a startup, all kinds of things. And like I said, it could be possible that I will have success on the YouTube channel. Who knows? So these are different ways to work for myself. And as long as I can stay like this and to be creative, I'm happy. And I probably will not go back to working for someone and for a company to live in the system. Yeah, I think definitely not living the system. Okay, Diane, escaping the system. Uh, yeah. yeah, damn right. Hey, I got to say, Diane, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. You have been a superstar, uh, to say the least. <laughs> uh, yes, right, let's see. Like, yeah, seeing as you're a shy, retiring wallflower uh, who's like devoid of all ambition and drive. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. All Thank right. you. It went from the um, 19 year old girl who had a crazy dance with a French girl to this girl here. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I have observed this dance, and yes, you can find it on YouTube. <laughs> I like this. Oh my say. God. Let's oh just say God. I will be putting the link in the description. Oh, right no. <laughs> Is that yes? But can, like, oh. apart from that link, can you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you out there on the interwebs? <laughs> yeah. So I have an Instagram page. It's called The Curious About Podcast. And the same for Facebook, Curious About Podcast. And on LinkedIn as well, is also called The Curious About Podcast. And if anyone has any questions or want to check out all the platforms, you can also check out my website where there's blogs and show notes as well. So it's called Curious About, I mean, I will just list the whole thing out, www.curious-about.io. Ah, awesome. You will find all of this information in the show notes, my friends, my life warriors. Uh, so please, yes. Track Diane down. Yes, enjoy the content. Enjoy the dancing show. <laughs> That's another story. But let me once again say to you, Diane, thank you for coming on today. You have been amazing, awesome, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. The pleasure's been all mine. The pleasure's been all mine. And I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, for sticking with us uh, up until this point. I want to say is please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Yeah. Yes. Peace. And we are 